right. Hello, everybody. Hello. Welcome to Fate's Wide Wheel. I'm Sam. I'm Dennis. Sam, how you doing? Oh, oh, I'm good. Uh, I'm a lot better. Uh, I feel basically 100%. You know, I... uh, when when last we spoke, um, I was on the verge of getting a diagnosis of having a respiratory infection, which mm-hmm. sucked, but it's not uncommon, you know, with with COVID cases. Um, you know, again, I thank my lucky stars for the vaccine and the booster because it could have been a lot worse, you know, without mm-hmm. that. Um, but that said, it still did roll into a respiratory infection. They put me on some super strong antibiotics and, you know, I felt I felt bad for like two days, um, two and a half days. And then I was I was feeling good. You know, I was getting tired a lot quicker. You know, I certainly still needed to kind of like rest and take my time. And mm-hmm. uh, but then I'd say by Friday, uh, I was feeling fine, and and uh, yesterday was great. Just spent the whole day with the kids and and let Jess have kind of a, a day out um, to herself. Uh, well, actually, she was she was with her friend, but um, it was awesome. You know, just hanging out with the kids all day and um, going to the park, getting ice cream because you know that's what that's what we do. And uh, oh, sure, uh, yeah. So I'm back, man. I'm feeling great. Awesome. I, mean, I, I barely even have a cough. Like every once in a while, like I have a little cough and I recognize it's like oh, there's still something a little bit there, but. Yeah, for the most part, I feel great. Sure. You know, I will say I, I had COVID right at the beginning, and every once in a while, I still feel like I have a little cough, which I don't know. It's uh, I, 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 I've had constant allergies like well before COVID. So oh, sure. I don't, know if, I don't know if it's allergies or, or remnants of COVID. Right. Who knows? But glad that you're back. Yeah, thanks, man. I appreciate it. Yeah. I'm, I'm, I'm glad to be here. I'm excited. I'm excited this week. We get to talk about Honeymoon Express. Yes, we've been talking about this for a while. Yeah, I mean, uh, this this reaffirmed my love of the episode rewatching it this time around. I there's 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 a particular scene which we'll talk a little bit more about later because we sure. wanted to talk about the fact that it's getting talked about in general, uh, and we've talked about it at length on the podcast, even somewhat recently. Um, mm-hmm. But uh, uh, that one scene reduced me to tears this time around, and I'll tell you why a little bit later because right. it had a. It, it had a little bit extra on it, this this viewing, compared to the last time I watched it. Sure. Yeah. Looking forward to hearing it. I have some thoughts. The, the, I love this episode deeply in my heart. And because I love it, I can pick it apart a little bit. All right. Which, which I'm going to do here a little bit. As we go, don't hang me, fans. Don't, don't hate me. <laughs> I know how much we all love this episode. I love it. Uh, I am I uh, pick apart a little bit. Before we do that, uh, let's do some uh, housekeeping. Find us on the web, fateswidewheel.com, fateswidewheel on all of the socials. We have our first follower on TikTok, Jill Wilson, <laughs> who's also a contributor. Thank you so much. I haven't put anything out there just yet. Uh, I keep meaning to, but it's, it's coming. <laughs> it's coming. It's busy. Like sometimes I, I think about throwing just like a quick, like goofy thing out there, but like, no, like I want to start producing like actually like, like good quality videos that I put time into, not just, uh, that's just you, goofy stuff. You you sound like the guy that's like, you know, well, you know, yeah, one of these days I'm going to propose when everything's right, when we're ready for it, you know, it, I'm sure that we'll be ready. It's like, if you wait around that for hurts. that, man, you'll never propose. So that I'm hurts. Saying, All right. Dude, like, that's know. fair. Maybe I should start doing. Uh, I, I say that as being the one who's uh, done no work whatsoever in the TikTok arena or any of our right. social media other than some occasional tweets. But, you know. Sure. <laughs> uh, fair enough. All right. Um so housekeeping, um, our, our financial donors, I've already mentioned Joe Wilson. Uh, also, thank you, uh, Dana Bias, Audrey Ashley, Christopher Redman, Rich Bork, Karen Saxon, and Amy Holtkamp. Thank you so much. Thank uh, you all very much. Your support means a lot. Um, yes. Uh, if you would like 
to be a financial donor, uh, you can do that in the show notes. You can become a monthly donor on Patreon for as little as a dollar a month. Right now, we have no tiers. If you, uh, we have no tiers. We have no extra things that we're giving you right now, uh, except like thank you very much from the bottom of my heart. The only thing that we can give you right now or are giving you right now is that we just we give you a shout out every episode. But we like will. We just did if we, we did, we'll have stuff soon. Yes, uh, we'll if you want to do. More about that. We'll talk more, yeah. And if you want to do a, a one-time donation, uh, we may set something up more fancy in the future. Uh, but for now, you can just send it to my own personal PayPal if you want to do a one-time donation. Um, other housekeeping, uh, please leave us a review on wherever you listen to podcasts. Uh, if you listen to Apple Podcasts especially, that really helps us get out there. Uh, we, would, we would greatly appreciate it. I think our most uh, recent reviews were from... Karen Saxon, a longtime listener. I think new listener, Amy Holkamp, if I remember correctly. I think she also gave us a review. Yeah, Um, thank you both. So thank you. Uh, And some anonymous person uh, gave us a one-star review uh, that uh, literally just said, eye rolling. Mm. That's all it said. Fascinating. The headline said, please stop with the oversensitive... And then the actual body was just <laughs> eye rolling. So I'm sure I'm sure it had something to do with us being quote woke. But anyway, hey, what are you gonna do? Yeah, whatever. What are you gonna I do? don't care. Uh, but yeah, we're gonna jump into Honeymoon Express here. No new news. Hang on, just Ooh, one second. That's not I, I true. lied. Yeah, I lied. I lied to you. Let me pull that up here. Uh, uh, Amy Holtkamp. She gave us this heads up. She wrote us a, a a very long, nice letter that we're gonna read more of it towards the end of the episode. But she dropped a tidbit. At the bottom, um, that trans writer, actor, I hope I don't pronounce this uh, too incorrectly, Shakina Nafak, uh, has been announced that uh, they will be a staff writer on the reboot. Yeah, it's very cool. So, so that's fantastic. It is. I, you know, it, it, one of the things that uh, I, I have to say, this is kind of going to be a weird way to get there, but hey, that's what we do. Um, but I um, have recently been watching uh, Xena Warrior Princess or rewatching mm-hmm. it uh, again and, and listening to a wonderful podcast along with it called Xena Warrior Podcast, hosted by three uh, awesome um, film grads. Um, uh, most of them have masters. I think one of them might even have a PhD um, doing just, I mean, wonderful work, uh, uh, you know, talking about these episodes. It never comes off as pretentious. They're not like, they're not like sitting over there, like dissecting it scene by scene or scene by scene. It's just, I mean, that kind of just informs, I think, you know, that, that these are three educated women talking about this show that a lot of people kind of look at it as just kind of being like popcorn or whatever. And um, I think that the show has definitely been kind of taken apart uh, uh, over the years because we're talking about a show that's over 25 years old at this particular point in time and, and mm. um, has certainly been dissected in a way uh, uh, that that proves it has kind of like cultural and artistic merit beyond, you know, just being a, a late night syndicated TV show or whatever. But I say all that to say, because as I'm watching this, I see all of these names involved with the show and so many men, like, you know, producers, writers and all this sort of stuff. And the thing is, is that they do a remarkable job, 90, I'd say 90% of the time of writing this show that it doesn't feel like, you know, 90s men writing about women. Do you know what I mean? Like it, mm-hmm. it, it actually does feel very like there, there's, there's an honesty to it and an integrity to it that goes beyond just any sort of like weird, you know, um, uh, um, 
non-representative uh, writer's room or, or you know, director staff or whatnot. Uh, that said, um, you know, having more representation and diversity, especially in the writer's room of a show like Quantum Leap, is only going to help. And I think that this is wonderful. Um, you know, Shakina is also a personal color. So I think that this is just a wonderful opportunity to, you know, diversify that that writer's room because um, uh, we know that it all starts off with, with two white dudes, you know, which – they're awesome. And I, you know, I, you know, thank my stars for, for guys like Steve and Brian for, for, you know, working so hard to bring the show back. Um, mm-hmm. but, but yeah, I think that it's something that will, that will obviously go a long way towards making this show better, frankly. Um, so I look for, I look forward to seeing what they, what they bring to the table. Um, and I, I know that, uh, um, that there's a lot of, uh, y- you know, as far as, their career goes already. Um, you know, they've been in, uh, transparent, um, and also, uh, on NBC's connecting, which I don't actually know much about that show at all. Uh, but it made her the first trans person to have a starring role on an American network comedy. That's fantastic. Yeah. So anyway, there you go. Excellent. Yeah. I was thinking of a tangent. I, was, I had a thought. It's a tangent. We're not going to go there just now. Um, <laughs> fantastic. And thank you, Amy, for, for sending us that information. There. Absolutely. Um, yeah, the link she sent is behind a paywall. I will outsmart the paywall later on. Eventually. Um, um, no, there's, um, there's a great website out there that right now I can't think of it off the top of my head. But if you take yeah. the link to anything that's behind a paywall and you go to that website and you type it in, it will give you the non-paywall version, but I can't think of it right now off the top of my head. Anyway, we're already going on tangents and we're already five minutes in. Let's get into Honeymoon Express. We're going to get into Honeymoon Express. All right. So uh, before we get into Honeymoon Express in depth here, I mean, not in depth, we're just doing the revisit, so it's going to be brief, but I will give you uh, an overview of what we're doing here. Um, This is our Quantum Leap Revisited. Of course, we've already reviewed all of the episodes and much longer episodes uh, of our own. We spent more time talking about uh, Quantum Leap than uh, Quantum Leap spent on the air. Um, our capsule size reviews um, uh, of the classic series go by the mission to rank the show on a scale of 1 to 10 um, or a percentage, you know, 1 to 100% based on five different categories, writing, directing, acting, production values, and mythology. Each category is weighted based on uh, perceived importance. Writing, directing, and acting are each worth 25% of the average. Production values are 15% and mythology just 10%. Now, as I said, our original reviews sought to stimulate discussion, contextualize the episode based on when it was set, when it aired, and when our discussion took place. We also provided a lot of background information. I am it up. Uh, our personal opinions of each episode, that and a whole lot more, you know, very deep dives. We're proud of those reviews. And of course, they will be uh, available uh, for listeners in our archive. However, we wanted the opportunity to revisit the episodes with only our opinion on the categories above, giving uh, our listeners a compact rating of each episode of the classic series in the lead up to the premiere of the revival series this fall. So have our opinions changed for the better, for the worse? Will this new rubric yield results that surprise even us? Step into the accelerator and find out. Uh, (laughs) So here we are with Honeymoon Express, uh, the season two premiere. Um, Dennis, tell us what IMDb says. Season two premiere aired September 20th, 1989, by the way. Uh, Sam must save himself while on his honeymoon from his new bride's ex-husband, also, Congress wants Sam to change history by stopping the U-2 flight that was shot down over Russia in 1960. A little bit inaccurate. We'll get into that later on. But anyway, um, uh, starting off with writing. Writing. Like yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, 
look, I love this episode. Uh, I, you know, as, as I was watching this episode, I was, um, it was hard for me in a way to even examine it too critically. Um, to be completely honest, I found myself instead just enjoying every second of it. Um, I'm sure that there are things that I I picked at last time around there. There are probably little nitpicky things here or there. Um, but the fact of the matter is this episode is responsible for some of the finest scenes in the entire series. And, uh, for that reason, um, along with many others, I gave it a 10 out of 10. Um, I just think it's well, I think that there are Mm -hmm. scenes there are there are scenes just based off of the writing alone that is some of the best writing in the history of the whole series. The scene with Al and Sam in particular when they think sure. it might be goodbye. But even that, even the exposition dumps in the, you know, in, in Congress are handled so well. You know, even kind of the the hokiness of the idea that Al is trying to sell Congress on the idea that he and Sam have decided God must be the one in control of Sam's leaps, which by the way, they've not decided that. And if they have, it's been off the air unbeknownst to us because nowhere in the first season do they ever say, Hey, you know what? It must be God. So like, you know, in, in, even in the midst of all of that, it's all pulled off really well. I think the characters are really well drawn. There's a lot of fun stuff too. Um, you know, and, and I think that, Ultimately, the episode gives Sam and Al opportunities to shine and be exactly who Sam and Al are supposed to be in my mind. Like if I, you know, if I had to introduce a new writer to the show and I had to like get them up to speed and I had to say like, you know, we're in season four or something and they're like, how do I write these characters? I've never seen your show before or whatever, which obviously wouldn't happen. But besides that, I would just give them a copy of Honeymoon Express and say, there, you're off to the races. So for that. Again, and many other reasons, yeah, I, I, I gave it a 10. Uh, everything that you said in the plus column for this episode, I don't argue with any of that one bit. Um, I've said before that this is kind of tangential to the writing, or it is about the writing. In my head canon, Al was not an admiral in the first season. Sam changes <laughs> history in some way between season one and season two that makes Al an admiral. Um, and part of that, I back up with the fact that Dean Stockwell did not know that Al was an admiral until he got the script for this episode. That was a total surprise to him. And uh, in some interview he gave, like he said, like he totally had to rethink how he played the character. Yeah. Um, so, so that's part of my head can and take that for, for what you will. The thing that struck me with the, with the writing that, that dings it for me upon, upon this rewatch is, uh, it, 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 it came and it popped up to me as soon as I saw the writing credit on this episode written by Don Belisario. <laughs> uh, and I think like we, we've talked before, like what little we know about like Don, like who he is as a person. Like he has said before, like Al's libido all comes from him. Like the womanizing aspect all comes from him. And what I remember from this episode, I, I haven't watched this episode since we reviewed it for the last, you know, for the, for the longer episode that we just did. So it would have been like four or five years ago at this point. Um, it, it is a part of the episode that, that Diana, like she is very much interested in having sex with her, her newlywed husband, uh, which creates like one of the interesting subplots of the episode that, you know, Sam is trying to avoid sleeping with this woman who is not, his wife who he is not in love with dot 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 yet um 
But in a lot of the monologues that Diane has, she is written like a man's fantasy of what a woman says to her man, to her husband. Um, I don't, like her one line, I don't really think I knew what love was until I met you. Things, I, I, I mean, I, you know what? I, I'm going to argue on that one. And here's the reason sure. why. The reason why is because she's, she's coming from a horrible, abusive relationship with Roger. You know, it's clear that this is someone that probably had a hard time trusting themselves and loving themselves and understanding what it was to be in a healthy relationship. So mm-hmm. I think saying something like that to Tom, Sam is actually, I, I actually like that. I actually like, I think, I think. You're letting your bias <laughs> towards Don Belisario, understandably so, okay. get in the way of, 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 of maybe taking in some of the fa- – like, it's okay for someone to say that to another person. Sure. And I think maybe it's between, it's between that and the way a lot of those lines are delivered. Hmm. It's, it's, it's done in this very melodramatic way. Like I said, like, it's almost like this fantasy of what a man would have about like what a woman – is saying to her husband about these things. But I will I will give you that. I may have some of my bias against Don <laughs> Belisario coloring. Like if this episode had been written by Deborah Pratt, would wouldn't bug me at all. Wouldn't take uh, twice, yeah. Yeah. But I think when it comes to topics like this, you do have to pay attention to the gender of the person who who is writing sure. the episode. Who is writing the episode? And that and goes where, back to exactly what we were talking about from. before we started. Yep. No, exactly. you're you're absolutely right. You're absolutely right. I I think you know. I mean, I I think that there's merit to what you're saying. I, I certainly don't want to discount it. I think the reason why I disagree with it is because is because maybe I'm just biased towards the episode because I just love the episode to pieces. And so, sure. you know, for me, I look at it as her not being some sort of odd male fantasy. I look at it as this is someone who has waited to be in a healthy relationship and is on her honeymoon. And, you know, I mean, let's face it, like, it's kind of what you do on your honeymoon, right? You say all the nice things, you get naked a lot. You, you know what I mean? Like, I mean, like. Sure, yeah. <laughs> and I guess it, it's not, I've been trying to think of like other examples and I should have jotted this down better as I was watching the episode. It's uh, it's the conversation that she has with Sam immediately after, immediately after Roger's first appearance mm. when she's like, you must hate me. I didn't tell you the truth. Um. Uh, if I didn't tell you, then maybe it didn't happen for me. And again, it's part of the writing and it's part of the delivery that just, that threw me off this time. All right. And like I said, I, and, and, and I give this caveat every time, this is just where the episode caught me this time as I watched Of course. It. Yes. You know, that is valid. That is totally valid. Cause I mean, you're saying things that actually want to make me want to go back and take another look at it, you know, to, 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 to kind of maybe take those, you know, rose colored glasses off my eyes and, 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 and see it from this perspective. Because I mean, again, I do think that there's merit to what you're saying and, and, and I, you know, I don't want to discount anything. I can only say that for me personally, when I was watching it you know earlier today 
none of what you're saying like bothered me at all, which is a surprise sure. because there there are plenty of times when we'll be watching episodes and exactly the types of things you're talking about certainly stand out to me, um, mm. and, you know, and, and 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 you know bug the shit out of me, especially when sure. it comes to Quantum Leap because I do feel like there is that you know we're 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 the show has enough of that eighties pedigree to it in spite mm-hmm. of, you know, also taking place in the early nineties or being produced in the early nineties as well. Um, that it really kind of, it's, it's before we got characters like Scully and Buffy and Xena. And you know what I mean? Like it's sure. taking place in a time when, you know, women were generally the girlfriend of the comic relief or the damsel in distress, especially on a show where your protagonist is, is a man. And let's face it, when it came to hour long television dramas, you didn't have a lot of female protagonists to begin with. You know, those were generally, it was a generally a male dominated category um you know certainly on the sitcom side of things it's like women can be funny but they can't be the hero you know that sort of sure. thing uh yeah. they they can be funny they can be sexy you know they can they can be in trouble uh but they can't be they can't be the hero um and again there are exceptions of course to that to that rule but um but no, I mean, like I said, there's definitely merit to, to what you're saying. I know that it just didn't bother me. And I think for me personally, as I was taking it in, it was very easy to say, you know, they're on their honeymoon. You know, clearly she's coming, you know, she, she's coming from this place where she was clearly in this horrible relationship um, with this horrible human. And, mm-hmm. and, 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 and again, like, there's no accident that the person she falls in love with and marries is a cop, like somebody whose sure. job is to serve and protect. Right. You know, I sure. mean, there's a whole other place we could go with that, but you know, for the purposes of this episode in the context of, you know, where, sure. where it was coming from, but yeah, I, I so I don't know. And I, I, yeah, I, I, I hear you though. I hear you. What's sure. What, I, what, what else? Uh, so, uh, so, the, so overall my score was uh six out of 10. Again, if you're, if you're new to this new scoring system, Damn. I, I, I have the rule. I cannot give anything a seven because seven is a safe choice. Seven is off the table. So between a six safe. And, yeah, but between a six and an eight, uh, I give it a six, uh, one tangent. I don't want to like have this go completely off the rails, but if you're a relatively new listener, um, Something that we really dove deep into in the original recap of this episode, if you want to go back, and I'll link it in the show notes. Uh, this is the first time in the series, like, it really brings up the idea of informed consent. Mm-hmm. And is it okay for Sam to ever sleep with anyone on a leap with the fact that they can't truly know who they are sleeping with? Right. Uh, we talk a lot about how the, a big deal is made of like, it's not okay for Sam to sleep with her because he's not in love with her yet. We don't really talk about it's not okay to sleep with her because she doesn't know who she really thinks of somebody else, right? Because she thinks that he's somebody else. Yeah. Like I said, we, we talk about that a lot. I think we had, if I remember correctly, we had uh, uh, our friend Annie. I think Betsy was on the episode. I think mm-hmm. Jessica uh, was on the episode. And, and so we talked a lot about that. So if that, topic at all interests you i'll put it in the show notes go back and listen to our original episode and in seven or eight episodes from now the whole new can of worms gets up. <laughs> so go listen to catch a falling star um yeah. yeah yeah you know and one other thing that i'll add especially viewed as a reintroduction to the series um you know it was it was written when the show you know, like a second season was not guaranteed. You know, we know that. And the fact that uh, I think that for 
Belisario, there was this idea that I want as many people watching this show as possible. I want this to feel kind of like a reintroduction to the show. Um, and I think it, it accomplishes that very, very well, especially establishing who Sam is, who Al is, who they are to each other, the stakes of the project, which unfortunately, the, 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 the saddest part about Honeymoon Express in many ways, it, it's the number of things that don't ever get followed up on. We'll talk a little bit more about that when we get to mythology. But, uh, you know, introducing the fact that Sam has never killed before um, until spoilers the end of this episode, which is a huge thread that we followed during our original, especially in season two. Like we talked mm-hmm. a lot about the arc of Sam as, as a killer, basically. Um, you, you know, so, so you might want to sure. go back and check but those episodes out, but is, yeah. is there an arc? Is there an arc? <laughs> you know who had an arc? Noah. Um, <laughs> no. <laughs> but I feel like, I feel like he, uh, if I remember correctly, he, he, he kills three people or four people in the course of season two. Uh, Roger, mm-hmm. uh, Nikki in her charm. Yep. And, and the two low lives in MIA. Uh, and it goes from honeymoon express up. He doesn't have the eyes of a man who could kill and he's, and he's shocked. He's taken aback. Uh, and I love Roger's line. Uh, next time it will be easier. Yeah, yeah. I'm almost tempted to bump it up a point just for right? that. Right, Roger is Roger is also very well written as as being is, yes. kind of like that that you know just unhinged character. Mm-hmm. Um, I mean the the whole monologue he has to Sam about like you know the Gestapo coming in and you know looking for resistance members and the person that ratted them out and then you know but I killed her and then finding out that it's his mother and you're just like this guy is you know but at the same time you're thinking about where that came from right what that was born out of you know the uncertainty of that particular time and again sure anyone who's interested in hearing a a a more thorough and in-depth discussion of some of the things that we're talking about please do go back to our original episode because we go very in-depth about you know things like the french resistance and 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 nazis and etc etc and you know we talk a little bit more about these things but i do think that again just the overall writing of, of of you know these characters it it holds up and 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 again the tension of like the congressional scenes and you know the the reveal at the end anyway sure yeah Moving on. Okay. Directing. Let's talk about directing. Uh, so it's interesting because directing is one of those that I struggled with the most uh, on this particular episode because there are very few like moments that really, you know, uh, like made me just kind of like lean forward and be like, oh, wow, you know, that's uh, such an interesting choice uh, or whatnot. But the thing that ultimately I really, really I was thinking about this uh, in the car on the way back to the grocery store as I watched the episode went to the grocery store. Uh, and as I was coming back. I was thinking about how immersive the episode felt, like the way that it's shot. And I think part of this is the technical limitations of shooting like on a train car. But the way that it's shot, I feel like I'm on the train. You know, mm-hmm. I feel like I'm in, the, you know, the hearing room with with Congress. Like I feel for some reason there's something and I, I don't have the vocabulary. I mean, yeah, I've taken a few film classes. You know, I listen to audio commentaries on DVDs. But ultimately, at the end of the day, like I don't have the vocabulary to, you know, properly articulate exactly what it is that is used or done that makes me feel this way. But for me personally, I did. I just felt like I was really in the episode. I'm not just an observer, uh, no pun intended. And, and, and that, I really liked that. I liked that a lot. And there's something about like the claustrophobia of being on the train at times that really ha- helped to kind of amp up the tension. Um, all the night shots, like outside of the train mm-hmm. when, you know, the way that the whole chase and, and, and tussle with Roger and, and then his, his goon, um, is done. It, 
Henri, yeah, yeah, uh, Henri, yeah, uh, is done really well. Um, just, just a, so, so much of it, I feel like, is is so well composed, well thought out. The We'll talk more about it later, but the you know the 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 near goodbye between Sam and Al, you mm-hmm. know, just the entire way that that is, is is shot and cut is is done so well, and then of course Sam going through the door with the you know the glass window and Al standing there for a moment. I, I, so mm-hmm. I, overall, it was one of those things where it's like there's nothing that makes me go, "Wow, this is incredible." At the same time, there was nothing that made me say anything bad about it, and I'm just so in love with the episode. I give it a nine. Oh, great! I gave it an eight. Uh, for for everything that you said, but I think I I don't think it's a bad thing that there's nothing in the episode that make you jump out and go wow. I mean, because sometimes I I think it's a strength of a thing. It's like um, a theater teacher like said in college, like if you notice if there's any aspect of a show that takes you out of the show and makes you go oh that lighting is an interesting choice. Right. Well, that was, that, that's an interesting bit of blocking. <laughs> if there's anything that takes you out of the show, then it's a bad choice. And like the best choices are the ones that let you just get fully lost. Right. Into the story. So that's not necessarily a bad thing. Right. Um, so like I said, for, for, for all the things you said, especially like, like, like the, the night scene outside, uh, just like the action scene, like what they were able to do and just, you know, suggest by way of like, you know, what they show and what they don't show you, you know, the fact that like Henri gets pulled, right. You you know, underneath the train and you get the classic, you know, like Hollywood, ah, you know, um, screaming, even the way, like the, the, they shoot the final confrontation scene between Sam Roger. Yeah. And, and Diane. Um, and I guess I'm going to dip back into the writing category for a bit. The way Diane is with Roger, I, I love the way that that scene was written, and I love the way that scene was played. Yeah, because like they're someone who knows how to deal with their abuser, right? And yeah, and, and try to calm them down and try to bring them down, right? Um, so for the writing and the direction of that scene, especially like, I mean, you can't. I mean, they're just like in a small space; like you can't do much like action wise. Yeah, so with that. Yes. And so much of that segues really nicely into acting as well, because I feel like the, the other thing, because the, it, it is so claustrophobic at times and things, you, you know, are so up close, so much of the acting is kind of like neck up. You know what I mean? Like it's, mm-hmm. you don't get the opportunity to have a lot of that other stuff. We really get to focus on these characters' eyes a lot. Um, and I love that. Um, and, it, and it helps because it fuels the more intimate moments, obviously, between Diane and Sam, but it also fuels those moments of tension, in, including that, you know, that climactic scene between the three of them. Um, the, the, you know, the acting in, in this particular episode, you know, for a show that had only, that only had eight episodes under its belt, um, the, what they're able to do in particular with the relationship between Sam and Al, I mean, it's just a testament to, to, you know, the reason why these guys were nominated for Emmys, you know, that that this wasn't just like this, it wasn't just this genre show that had like a cult following. It was critically acclaimed during its time. Now. Yeah. There were plenty of critics out there that were just sort of like, okay, like some of these episodes are not great. And, and, and I find myself being among that camp because some of the episodes are not that great, you know, but when it, when it's right, you're getting 
you know, some of the highest quality acting that you were probably getting on television in 1989, quite frankly. You're getting mm-hmm. some fantastic writing. You're getting some wonderful directing on a budget. Although I think this episode, it, it, you know, it seems to me by watching it, it looked like the budget was a little higher than what we'd seen prior, except for, you know, maybe the pilot. Um, really? I don't know. I, I, I felt like maybe not. Nothing stood out to me as being, let me put it this way. This goes into directing and production values. Nothing sure. made me think, whoa, they're really shooting this on a shoestring budget. Wow. Did it did it did the the fact that they were obviously like shooting in front of a, a screen like for the window shots like out the train, that not bug you? Didn't bug me because it's not nearly okay. as bad as the car in Starcrossed. Oh, you think? Oh god, the car in Starcrossed looks like somebody's back there with a flashlight, basically. Doing like <laughs> this. Like it was like the car in Starcrossed is awful. <laughs> Awful. Like that's literally right. like I could have shot that in junior high. Like it's not All right. great. All right. Yeah, I, I mean, I'm not, I, I, I'm not knocking anything. Like I said before, like back at Starcross, like to me, like in my head, like having things look kind of janky in regards to anything moving, like that's so just like burned into my brain from that era. Like it's it's almost theatrical and it, it it's a conceit and it does not bug me at all. You know what it could be too. Uh, and this is, and, and this is something that um, I've been thinking about in general because I've been, uh, while I was, you know, isolated and alone for almost sure. two weeks. Uh, one of the things that I was doing was actually doing some reading on like television on DVD and, um, mm-hmm. and Blu-ray because I, you know, I do believe that for the most part, physical media uh, often is the best representation. Um, streaming is great. You know, when we've, there are advances in streaming that, I think most people would probably never be able to tell the difference. Uh, that said, there are obviously like for me, when I watch the X-Files on Hulu compared to when I put my Blu-rays in, there's a difference. And, and like I, and it's the reason why I'm never going to get rid of my Blu-rays, you know? So the reason I bring that up, season one, you know, probably, especially only being eight episodes, you know, being their first season, I wonder how much it got in, you know, when it was, mastered and authored the first time around and what they're pulling from what Mill Creek was pulling from, you know, I, I wonder, it's like, what were they actually, you know, remastering? What what did they actually have to work with? Because Honeymoon Express looks almost right off the bat, looks like how I want a television show from 1989 on Blu-ray to look. Whereas none of the episodes in season one, as great as they look on occasion, certainly better than I think they look anywhere else don't look as good as this. And so maybe that tented my perspective a bit when, when oh, thinking about sure. budget, because it, it just looked fresh. It you know, looks it look, good. Yeah. Sure. It looks good. Um, so yeah, I, I don't know, but that, that, let's get back to acting. Uh, sure. <laughs> so uh, overall, uh, I, I, I really enjoy the performances. Um, you know, I, I think I understand where you're coming from when we're talking about writing about Diane. Um, and maybe you didn't necessarily mean that about her acting specifically. Um, but, but for me, I just, I mean, I enjoy, I enjoy everything she does. I enjoy, um, I enjoy the fact that, the scenes with Sam are done in such a way that there is this genuine tension for the character uh, of Sam. And I can understand why he would be interested in her beyond just the physical, the prospect of physical intimacy, the prospect of Mm -hmm. someone parading around in negligee. Like, even though most of the time what we're given is basically for lack of better terms, to be extremely frank, you know, somebody who's really horny on their honeymoon, like, even though that's what we're given a lot of times, 
I there's there's more there. There's more depth there. And I give a lot of the sure. credit to the mm-hmm. actor for that. Now, obviously, there's also the idea that it's written that she's, you know, studying to take the bar exam and everything and, you know, be a lawyer. And um, and that, I think, also adds a, a new layer to the character. You know, she's someone looking for justice um, and all that. You know, I think, again, like you said, the scene with Roger uh, and the stuff that she has, I, I think, really helps to uh, add to that depth of the character. And, 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 and I really appreciate that. I appreciate, again, I, Roger, I think, is fantastic. I mean, Roger is, is the first in a long line of, uh, I mean, not the first. We obviously just came from Played Against Seymour. But I think Roger becomes the the first really truly to be established as like the killer of the week, you know, which unfortunately Mm -hmm. gets overused as the show goes on. Sure. And we're in agreement on that. But in this episode, it works like gangbusters. And I think the actor pulls it off spectacularly. Um, But what it really all comes down to for me and the reason why I, I, I mean, I was compelled to give it the score that I give it is everything with Dean and Scott. Mm-hmm. And watching... I'm going to get emotional. Watching the scene where they almost say goodbye really hit me this time around. Because we were, as fans, robbed of any potential for a scene like that in Mirror Image. For multiple reasons. It's hard to blame the team for that. We will never... We will never actually be able to get that scene. Yeah. Um, and it's, you know, it's silly. It's a TV show, right? But um, thinking about what the revival means and the promise of the revival and the potential for, you know, Scott's involvement in the revival... We know that we can't have Dean back. You know, we know we can't have Mm -hmm. Al back. And the closest we ever got to the two of them being able to share an embrace, it made me think a lot about if the Revival series gets Sam back, the catharsis of seeing Sam embrace Al when he gets, Mm -hmm. you know, when he gets home. Sure. Has been ta- has, we've been robbed of that, you know? Yeah. Sam's been robbed of that. Hell, as silly as it sounds, Scott has been robbed of that. Sure. And maybe that's a little hyperbolic, but ultimately, I feel like it gave this scene even more weight. And obviously, that's something that neither the actors or Don Belisario or sure. the director, anybody knew at the time. But viewing it now... Man, it's it really is. It's just, it's it, it's a scene that at once, you know, I thought was fantastic, one of my favorite scenes in the show, has become one of the most important scenes in the show. Um and it's and it's acted perfectly. It's acted perfectly because Sam is clearly getting emotional having a hard time with this, and Al is doing everything he can to just be like it's going to be okay. You know, you're going to be fine. You're going to, when you know, he's just, you know, his heart is breaking inside as well. Sure. Add to that, they throw in the music and Mm -hmm. I was done. I was done. Yeah. So anyway, all that said, I give the acting a 10. Yeah. Uh, I, I braced myself up for that scene when I was watching it this afternoon. Um, uh, 
uh, another one of the, the the newer quantum leap podcasts, the waiting room. I think it's yeah, it's the waiting room pod. Um, they they did the recap of this episode a few weeks ago, and, and one of the hosts talked a lot about how, uh, in light of Dean Stockwell's passing, like you can't. They kind of put a different spin on it. And I thought this is where you were going, but they kind of put a different spin on like this is like as close as like is what we're seeing like Scott and Dean saying goodbye to each other as Scott and Dean in mm-hmm. anything. Yeah. And uh, in light of his passing, um, and, and we were talking about this before we're off mic before we started recording. Uh, this particular scene has been being talked a lot about on Quantum Leap Twitter right now as an example of like Sam Manel's like deep relationship. So I kind of braced myself up, yeah, as I watched it this time. Uh, and now listening to what you're saying, uh, I'm I am finding myself uh, once again getting angry over mirror image because yeah. my my biggest problem with mirror image yep is they have two scenes together and it's not a satisfying scene because all al thinks that is happening is that is that sam is becoming mentally unstable yeah uh, and, and you say that and if you're watching this on video, if we put this video out, if you, if you saw my face kind of like twist when you said that there's nothing the team could have done about it, they could have done something about it. Hell yeah, they could have done something about it. Don Belisario, when he wrote that last episode, he knew damn well it was very likely the last episode. So he could have actually given something more satisfying. Sure. To that. Well, and the thing is, is it's like, I don't even have a problem with the fact, like, I, I am, I, I have talked before about how the, the, you know, the final title card, you know, Dr. Sam Beckett never, never returned home, like slayed me as a kid. Like mm-hmm. I, I, you know, what, what was I, uh, 12, 12 years old, I think when the finale aired, uh, just about to turn 13, maybe. Um, and, uh, no, 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 I was 11 about to turn 12. Anyway, doesn't matter. Point is, I, I, I mean, I had not cried that hard except for maybe like two other occasions in my life. Like literally, like sure. it, it slayed me. That said, I have always been a staunch defender of the decision to have it end that way. It, it, it for me, there was something about it that like, there aren't always happy endings. You know, you can't always get what you want. At the same time. There just might be somebody out there looking out for all of us, giving up everything of themselves to look after all of us, you know, and, 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 and that to me, like, I just, it never bothered me. Anyway, that said, I agree with you. I think you're absolutely right. And wouldn't it have been wonderful if using the magic of Al's place and mirror image, if at one point they're sitting out there on the, you know, on the front porch of the bar and, and they're having this conversation and it's a deep, wonderful conversation. And it's the emotional conversation we wish they would have all had in mirror image. And at one point, you know, Sam just reaches over, you know, instinctually without thinking about it to put his arm around (coughs) Al and he touches him. And he can feel him. And they have this big embrace and they hug one another and they're laughing and they're crying. And they don't know how this is happening. And then Sam leaps. And that's the last time that, you know, that's the last time we ever saw them together. That's la- But because of, because of, you know, that place that he was in with all the craziness, all the shenanigans, for whatever reason, they were able to just touch in that moment. Like, that would have been lovely. You're absolutely right. I stand correct. I'm going to go deeper. I'm going to go oh, deeper. This, this just popped <laughs> in my head. And I'm, and I'm, giving, you a, I'm giving you a fan wank right now. What if in the final episode, what if they had done this? Sam and bartender Al sitting on the bench, having that whole conversation, 
about, you know, if you were a priest, I've oh, been a priest. So you had whatever, 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 whatever. What if they had done like a camera cut and from the point of the kind of the last scene where it starts with, I'm getting choked up saying this, where, where the line is, where would you like to go, Sam? If they had done a cut and it was Al. Yeah. It was Al sitting next to him on the bench. I don't know what he'd be wearing. He wouldn't be wearing his Admiral outfit. He wouldn't be dressed as the bartender. He'd be something else that was very Al. And it wouldn't even have to be a full embrace. It would have just been the arm. Right. Around Sam that Al, the bartender, gave him. Yeah. You could have done that. You wouldn't need you wouldn't need to explain it. Just do it. You could have had the final episode be everything else. And it would have been more satisfying. <laughs> but that's not what they did. Anyway, for Honeymoon Express, I gave the acting eight out of ten. There you go. Um <laughs> Production values. Again, I thought production values were fine. I, you know, nothing really stood out to me as being horrible, terrible, out of place. Um, you know, we haven't even really mentioned it, but like even at the top of the show with, um, uh, well, actually, it's wonderful. We get this really interesting cold open at the top of the show, of course, which is Al and, and the congressional hearing. But then when we come back, we see Sam in a tree, you know, trying to get a cat out of the trees, you know, and, and we see this wonderful vintage old fire car, you know, in the background of the shot, um, you know, which stuff like that is really nice. Um, you know, again, just everything I, I thought looked good, played well. Uh, it's a little thing, but when the the train conductor gives uh, Sam the gun or the porter gives him the gun, uh, uh, it, he's like, "It's fifty years old." Like it's like the gun looks like it's fifty years old. Here's you know a, what yeah, I mean? Sure. Like so, so everything I, I thought everything held together well. I went ahead and gave it a nine um, out of ten. Um, sure. So yeah. Here's the thing about production values that jumped out at me, and I had never noticed it before. In episodes where we have had. We've literally had Al have costume changes in one day. He's wearing the same outfit from the firefighter leap to the first scene in Honeymoon Express, <laughs> where we know from the pilot that oftentimes there are several days that happened in between leaps. Sure. Jumped out of me at that point. Interesting. Uh, as for everything else, as far as production values go, like I said, nothing stuck out, nothing whatever i don't really have anything more intelligent to say than 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 you did eight out of ten i may have to eliminate eight from my i know i was just gonna say eight's your safe place (laughs) seven and eight they're becoming my safe place um Um, no i i I, you know me i don't think it i think it's fine mm -hmm. you score it how you you score it how you score it uh sure and and let's face it at the end of the day like not to undercut the entire endeavor but so much of it is fairly arbitrary right because it's like you said earlier it's like this is how this is how i felt when i watched it this time around you know this is where i am in this particular moment in this particular place uh we might get to the end of this and i'd be like whoa i scored honeymoon express too high you know because i couldn't go high enough on on you know black and white on fire or whatever anyway um that takes us to our final category, mythology, and uh, I think that this episode is incredibly important. I, I, I think if you're putting together your list of essential Quantum Leap episodes to watch before you watch the Revival series, that Honeymoon Express has to be on your list. There, are, There's literally, there, are, you cannot do without Honeymoon Express on an essential episode list of Quantum Leap, um, and I think it, would, it could potentially, uh, it would also be on a best of list as well. Um, so uh, I gave it a 10 out of 10. I think everything with Congress, I think everything with uh, uh, you know the relationship between Sam and Al. Uh, I think even the you know one of the things I, I neglected to mention the writing earlier. Uh, even the moments when you know Sam is basically 
like looking for something to step in, you know, it's like, what do you want me to do here? You know, he's talking to God, time fate or whoever. Sure. And, and there are those little, those little twists of fate that occur, um, that keep him from, you know, consummating the, the marriage with Diane that, mm. uh, that, that flip the pages, uh, in the book. Uh, so he can ask her the question, which, you know, ends up being the question that she missed originally in the timeline, which kept her from, sure. you know, winning her congressional seat and all this sort of stuff, like all those little things, um, I think play in, wonderfully just with the conceit of the show as well uh inform the conceit of the show i i just gave it a 10 because i was you know again i was feeling generous with with honeymoon express uh and, sure. and again i mean I, I feel like there are very few episodes uh when it comes to the mythology that i feel like i could give it that that high of a rating i think you know i think when it comes down to it you've got genesis you've got honeymoon express you've got leap back um you've got uh um Obviously, Leap Home uh, uh, and MIA, MIA yeah. uh, and then Mirror Image. And other than that, like, I, 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 I obviously in viewing episodes, I might change my mind. But other than that, I can't think of many other episodes that I would give a 10 to. So sure. I feel like this one deserves it because it, as far as I'm concerned, it conveys the same amount of information that are important to, to the overall understanding of Quantum Leap in general as any of those other episodes I mentioned. So it gets a 10. Sure. All the things you said, I gave it 9 out of 10. Fantastic. Wasn't feeling as generous, but hey, yeah, it was there we go. Um, yeah, yeah, the only the only thing I will say in addition, and I've said this before, this is a storyline I wish they would have kept going throughout the series. Yep. Like the constant fight for for funding and to stay afloat. I would love to uh, have yeah. seen more scenes with with uh, Al back in the present having these fights. I have a feeling you're. I have a feeling we are going to get a lot more scenes like this yeah. in, in the new series. If not fighting for like a budget and to stay afloat, I think there's going to be a lot more fights with the Pentagon. or Magic's going to be like, on the phone what, what the hell with you people doing? like once an episode, I bet. Like, you know what I mean? Like literally, like sure. I, I, I would not be surprised if that, you know, becomes like a, just a, you know, a running gag almost where Magic has to be on sure. the phone, you know, buying more time or money or, you know. Here's what I want for the new series. I want this to be a running comedic bit. <laughs> I want Project Quantum Leap to never admit to the Pentagon that Ben has leaped. <laughs> uh, and it's, 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 a, it's a comedy of errors. It's farcical uh, keeping that away from the Senate. Like they come yeah. to visit. Ben's not here. Where's right. Ben? I don't know. Yeah. Just make it a comedy. I don't know. Right. I'm not one of the writers. Uh, I, uh, I'd be fine with that. I think that would be amusing. I think that, you know, I, that's, hey, let's face it. Like, I, I think that Quantum Leap has had a lot of opportunities to do comedy well, and Quantum Leap has done a lot of bad comedy as well. So, you know, I, I, I'd love to, I'd love for the new, the new show to take, take a few swings. Yeah. I'm sure it will. I'm sure it will. Um, I'm glad you brought that up because that was also one of the things that, you know, when we started talking about the episode that I wanted to come back to with mythology, I do. I feel like, unfortunately, it is it is one of the uh, failings of the show as a whole, uh, and not just the show. I, I would play this indictment out to all of television at the time, um, you know, because, again, we're pre-X-Files, we're pre-Buffy, we're pre-Babylon you know Babylon 5, like a lot of those shows for American television, especially for American genre television, that really ratcheted up, you know, the continuity and the serialization of primetime, you know, uh, uh, dramas. And, and, and so I think that, unfortunately, they did not take the opportunity that they were given with this episode to really capitalize on some of those running through lines, including, like, fighting with the government for funding, uh, proving that Sam's still out there, um, 
you know, also having to shut Ziggy off because they were trying to save money. Like, how cool would it have been to see more episodes where it's like Sam's not sure what he's there to do because Ziggy's, you know what I mean? Like, yes, there are other episodes that, that you know, Ziggy doesn't want to give an answer or Ziggy's, you know, on the fritz or whatever. That does happen. But, you know, for budgetary reasons, it's like, you know, to see those sure. moments with Al in the control room, like kind of like, you know, Gushy, we've got to, you've got to do that. I, I, we don't have the money to do it. You know, it's like, yeah. uh, what, what, what I, I, I want to address, like there, there is the one line where they say like, they can't do, they can't look up a thing because we pulled money from research. Like you don't pull money from research. Like, yeah, I'll move, I move somebody from the motor pool. Like, what is the motor pool doing? Like, right, who are they, right. who, yeah. who are they, who are they carting around? How many and vehicles I, do you have? <laughs> and I, and I can't decide if, if Al is being genuine or he's pulling an excuse out of his ass. Right. And I think it's the latter. <laughs> I think it is too. I think it's also the idea that it's like, we don't, we, you're right, Sam. We don't pull money from research because research is all we do. So when we have to pull money from something, it's from research because we don't have, we're going to spend money on anything else. We don't have a sure. motor pool. We don't have a cafeteria. We don't have, you know what I mean? Like I, mm-hmm. I, I have always preferred the notion and the idea that Project Quantum Leap was extremely small, extremely small, that this was not like, it was n- not some like military base with hundreds of people working there or whatever. You, you know what I mean? Like I mm-hmm. I've always preferred the idea that it's like 20 people, you know, that it's that, 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 that it was just this, that like the original setup was Dr. Sam Beckett led a group of scientists, you know, into the desert and, 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 and that's it, you know, it's not, it's not some huge project. This isn't, um, uh, well, the name escapes me now. I can't believe I'm forgetting this, but it wasn't the project for the atomic bomb. You know what I mean? Like it's not sure. that. So, yeah. um, um, I've always preferred a smaller project. I'm sure it's going to be a little bit bigger. Uh, e- even with the screenshots we've already seen, I mean, the project itself looks, you know, we, we, we know there's more than one room. We know there are offices, you know what I mean? Like we know that mm-hmm. in the revival, we're going to see that as opposed to in the original show, we saw like, you know, the waiting room kind of the imaging chamber and you know the control room but that's it that's all we ever the really halls saw. yeah well yeah. right yeah yeah so the hall is yeah it is unfortunate that we didn't see uh you know more follow up on some of these these threads and it's unfortunate in a way that we didn't see some of these characters come back like Diane for instance like i think wouldn't it have been cool to have like and i get why it didn't happen but to have a recurring you know, appearance every once in a while. Like she's the one maybe that, that Al has, you know, the relationship with now. So that Al is like talking to her, like uh, that would have been kind of neat. Sure. Here's the thing I want to say about Diane and this, I can't decide if this falls under writing, directing, acting, all of the above. I'm going to take it off of acting. Cause I don't think this was uh, Alice Adair's choice. And this is the one flaw. And uh, actually Joe Wilson, she already wrote us an email for honeymoon express. I'll read a little bit more of it here later on. It didn't jump out at me as a kid, but now that I'm an adult and much closer to Diane's age in the future than I am to Diane's age in <laughs> in the past. Sure. Diana is at the the most like mid-50s, late 50s. Right. In the, in the final scene. One, the makeup is horrible. Yeah. Like yeah. you can literally see like the like the the drawn in wrinkle lines. It's know? no old Biff and back to the future. It's, it's no old Biff and back to the future <laughs> and old Biff and back to the future. Isn't that great. But the <laughs> way that she's played so old, it's like, she's not that old. And like, right. like young Diana was like young and full of life. Like I would have loved to have seen like Diana just like, yeah, she looks older, but she's 
you know. Well, especially when you see like Nancy Pelosi, who's like in her eighties. You know what I mean? And you know, sort of like you're just sort of like, oh, okay, you know. But yeah, yeah, you're right. She she is she definitely is played old. And I think part of that is probably also the idea that like the conceit of 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 television, the conceit of the scene is that you know they are attempting to to portray these thirty five intervening years, and so they have to, there has to be a difference. Do you know what I mean? And so sure. they go a little overboard as opposed to like you were saying, maybe you know. Not doing sure. quite as much. Maybe, maybe a little less uh, Lorraine McFly yes. at the start of Back to the Future <laughs> and a little more Lorraine McFly at the end of Back to the Future. Yes. You Absolutely. know what I mean? I know exactly what you mean. Uh, so that's all. That's, yeah. that's, that's what I'm saying. Like I said, I'm going to take that off because I have a feeling that was much less uh, Alice Adair's choice. Right. And like you, you put the costume, you put the makeup on, like you're kind of forced to play it a certain way. Right. You know what I mean? Yeah. And that's well, especially that's how it's done. Especially when you look when when we see later on, obviously, like you know, we see the picture of uh, young Al in MIA, right? And then we see sure. Al in you know present day, like. Mm-hmm. Like that could have been a great example too, right? It's like you know, well, yeah. Stockwell doesn't look that different. You know what I mean? Like maybe there's a little more gravel in his voice, but <laughs> you know, a little gray in the hair, bags under the eyes, but you know, it's, yeah. it's not. Yeah. But as we, but as we learned from Leap for Lisa, he always had that gravel in his voice. That's right. That's right. Just yes. And he looked higher. like and he looked like a pop star near pop star James Walter. So <laughs> you couldn't give a pop star. Yeah, I had to give him a he, near. He, well, he did have a number one song at one time, so I kind of felt like I had to like. Yes, I got you. I got you. Well, if we don't have anything more to add, should we shift into uh, some listener mail? We definitely should. We uh, we went a little bit longer than I think we normally do, but you know. All right, so we got a couple letters to share this week. First one from uh, Jill Wilson. Already getting the jump, giving us some feedback on Honeymoon Express before we even put the episode (laughs) uh, out there. But uh, yeah, want to share some uh, thoughts here. Uh, first, I love the fact that in this episode, Sam starts displaying his moral code, which pretty much continues throughout the following seasons. He expresses how wrong it would be to sleep with someone he just met or someone he did not love. I don't think the show would have been a, a success if Sam continued to be a character who was promiscuous. Um, I wonder what are her thoughts of Sam sleeping with Dixie in uh, the right hand of God. Anyway, right. besides having that contrast between Sam and Al really helped develop the chemistry between the two beloved characters, which was key to the success of the series. Another scene in this episode that helped develop that chemistry is when Al was trying to tell Sam he really needs to uh, get Diane to call his father about aborting the mission of the U-2 spy plane. It melts my heart when Sam realizes that if he doesn't try to stop the U-2, the project gets cut and he may never see Al again. We are now starting to see that loving friendship bond between the two of them. Uh, but all of Al's best efforts for saving the project and his dear friend were in vain because, in the end, God was in control and knew what it was going uh, knew that what it was going to do to take uh, to take to save Sam and the project, getting Diane to pass the bar. Kind of like what you said with yeah. your uh, yeah with your yeah. Um, at this point, the quantum leap becomes highway to heaven. Uh, it no, did. Okay. Yeah. <laughs> I'm sorry. <laughs> we we joked about that a few times we, way we, back we, when. We, we, have, like, yeah. we have absolutely, yeah. <laughs> uh, and then finally, uh, she makes some uh, a few words about uh, Diane's acting. The actor plays Diane. Like some of it was okay, and she she also makes the comment of like, "What the hell was up with Diana 
Diane being so old and decrepit in that. Right, right. In that final scene. Yeah. Uh, looking more like she was in her 80s than than in her 60s. And like I said, I think even with the math, I think she's more like just like mid to late 50s. So yeah. Yeah. Oh, sorry to have thought that. One thing I, I do for sharing, too, thank you. Thank you so much, Joe. One thing that I will say uh, that, that I forgot to mention when we were talking about the episode specifically, too, is that this is the first time I think that we get like on screen confirmation that the project was created using Al and Sam's brainwaves. Like mm-hmm. the idea yep. being that like that there clearly was a relationship between the two of these individuals prior to the project, because as you even pointed out at one point, I think about Genesis about there's this like there's almost this vibe that they don't like Al's kind of just there. Like there doesn't seem to be this, the, the level of friendship you sure. know, that, that we see later, especially as it's, you know, kind of set up in honeymoon express. Um, whereas this episode kind of just, you know, lays it right out there that the, the project really only works because of the two of them, um, mm-hmm. you know, and, and, uh, Man, I I just started thinking about that scene again. It's just, whew. no. Yeah. Totally good. <laughs> yeah. Anyway. <clears throat> yeah. Um, Yes, I do like that. I also love, I don't think we talked about, we talked about Starcross. I love the fact that even when they grab Al and drag him out of the imaging chamber, you don't even see them then. Right. You know so what I mean? Only see Al, yep. Yeah, it, I kind of wish they would have kept more of that conceit later on, but but then we would have been robbed some other great scenes later, but anyway. Right. Yeah. Well, but uh, to, to be fair, in, in you know, in uh, Shock Theater, I mean, the only reason he can see Dr. Beaks is because they're using all this extra power in order to project her image as long as, you know, as long as Al is holding her, like, like we're, we're basically given the notion that like, this shouldn't even be possible. Even if Al is holding her hand, we're just using all the power we've got to do this. Yeah. He won't be able to hear her, but you know, uh, correct. Yes. I think, yeah. I don't think that they make much comment about the power in that one, but in rate, they make a big deal about the power. Mm. Because also Sam has to be able to hear her, right? As well, and that one, uh, I think it was like enough enough power to light up St. Louis for a month. I think that was the line. Nice, yeah. Now I think about it, it was a nice uh, hat tip to Sam's hometown, the Scott's hometown. Yeah, uh, yeah, yeah, the Scott's yeah. hometown. Yeah, anyway, They're inseparable at this point. Um. Yeah, uh, <laughs> yeah, exactly. Right. All right. It's late. We're getting tired. Anyway, uh, Amy Holtkamp, she sent us a, a, a very nice longer letter. We're not going to share the entire thing because I, I stumble over my words well enough with a short letter. As you just but it was chill. It was really lovely, though. I, I, yeah, I yeah, it, it yeah. is very lovely. So uh, we're going to reach out to Amy with Amy's permission. We're going to put the the entire thing up on our Facebook page or our, our, our website. Um, I'm just going to read a couple of paragraphs that that really jumped out to me. Um, I went to a very white high school where for our senior Halloween pageant, over half of my senior class came in blackface. We discussed the incident for weeks in various classes with most of my classmates and many teachers voicing the opinion that it was no big deal. I was pretty shy back then about voicing my opinion on anything controversial, but I remember thinking consciously some version of what would Sam Beckett do? I've asked that question many times myself uh, and literally told myself to just pretend that Sam had leaped into my body during these arguments to get myself to speak up about how wrong it was to use blackface. I'm sure my parents are, uh, should also get some credit for my quote bleeding heart as it used to be called, uh, or I guess it's now my wokeness, but quantum leap also left an indelible mark on how I walk through the world, how I think about empathy and how I see our quote politics as an expression of a myriad of human stories struggles and relationships which brings me to the new series 
I'm excited about it as a continuation of something I love and by the prospect that the childhood trauma of Sam Beckett never returned home, complete with the misspelled Beckett, might be (laughs) rectified. But I am thrilled by the diverse cast. Uh, It was actually only when I saw the diverse casting of the show that I relaxed about whether the new show would honor the classic one. The classic series was all about getting us to shift our perspective and look at the world through someone else's eyes. To me, this commitment to exploring different perspectives is the essential element of Quantum Leap, not the time period of 1953 to 1995, not the hand link, not even Scott and Dean. And I love Scott and Dean. I have a framed picture of them over my desk. I love them, but I can't help but think the reason both of them always liked, always talked with such affection about the show and the fans was not just because QL brought them fame and money, but because they knew that they had created something that was bigger than just a show that ran for a few seasons. Together with other actors, writers, directors, and designers, and the amazing Deborah Pratt, they created a whole world. I'm just going to leave it at that. Yeah. With Amy's permission, we'll share the rest. Thank you for sharing that. I really appreciate that. Thank you so much, Amy. And thank you also for, you know, sharing the information about Shakina Nifak and and the fact that um, she'll be a staff writer on the show. We we actually, while we we took a brief break, uh, as you'll notice probably from the the, the video join at the very least, uh, if not the audio join, but uh, I, I went ahead and retweeted. Um, Shakina's uh, tweet that that showed that uh, she is indeed a staff writer on the show, um, and tagged and tagged her in it. Um, yeah, I agree. I agree with with so much uh, of of what Amy says, and I think that something that really hit me and is a wonderful new tool in the toolbox of you know arguments uh, against those that seem to think that you know Quantum Leap is Sam and Al slash Scott and Dean is that. Yeah, Scott and Dean took a lot of pride in the work that they did. And part of the reason why they took that pride, and the same thing with Deborah Pratt, as we've seen and can extrapolate from interviews with her, including the one that the Quantum Leap podcast recently did, they would rather see this this world, you know, that they created, this universe that they created continue on and and you know, tell new stories with new people than they would have it just stay in the mothballs and purely be a nostalgia act that people pop in their Blu-rays or stream, you know, on TV. Um, and what better way, right, to honor the memory of Dean than, you know, than to continue with, with this story and knowing for a fact that his character is named and pictured in the pilot. Like, I mean, I'm saying that I'm just sort of like, I still don't know how I'm going to feel when I see it. I know how I felt when I read it, much less how I feel when I see it. So, you know, it's sure. you know, it is, it, you know, I mean, there is, there is, there is an element of tribute here, but there's also this element of like, perhaps the best tribute in the world is to just, is to continue telling stories using this sandbox that they helped create, as opposed to just letting it be a project kept in mothballs that Sam Beckett never returns yeah. home to. I know, right? Do I want to be snarky? Sam, Go do I want to be snarky? I'm going to be snarky. I'm going to be snarky. I'm, I'm going to be, you know me, you know, I'm team Deborah Pratt. Uh, and she pretty much, she says it in so many words in an interview with the Quantum Leap podcast. You know why Quantum Leap sat in mothballs for so many years? Yeah. Don Belisario would not release creative control. Yeah. He wanted to do it his way or no way. And finally he gave it up. Right. Yeah. Yeah. Well, and quite frankly, 
you know, he got pushed out of some of his own properties. And, you know, there's if you read between the lines, part of the reason why he got pushed out of NCIS is because he allowed a pattern of behavior to occur that was unacceptable. I know we've talked about this before. Oh, it, it, allegations I, against Michael Weather. Oh, no, no, no. I, I know we've talked about this know. before, but oh, like yeah. now, was this a thing where he's been pushed out of projects and he wasn't making money anymore, so he needed some quantum leap money? I mean, you, you would think with somebody who's been doing this as long as he's been doing this, but you know, sure. you hear stories all the time about uh, about people that you know stop working for one reason or another, and then all of a sudden they're broke. So who knows? Who knows? Uh, anyway, anyway, as as we do, as we do, the tangents they go, they go. Uh, I don't want to cast any aspersions. Uh, uh, I will cast aspersions. <laughs> anyway, <laughs> uh, Joe, anyway. Amy, thank you so much. Uh, mm-hmm. We always love it when we get um, listener mail of any kind, and we are going to be much better at sharing that with the audience. So if you have something that you want to say, um, feel free to shoot us an email. Um, uh, it's know. in the show notes, Fate's Wide Wheel Podcast at gmail.com. Yep. And you can, you know, you can keep it short you can make it long, whatever you want. Um, you know, we might not be able to read the whole thing on the air. Um, obviously with your permission, we'll, we'll publish it either on our Facebook, Instagram, or, you know, some such, um, and share it with the community. Uh, because one of the things that is so cool right now, uh, we were talking about this right before we started recording, um, you know, and, 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 uh, um, Brian Green over at Al's Place uh, has has tweeted out a couple of times in the past week too about the fact that like he's having to add new podcasts to the website because there mm-hmm. are so many new podcasts that have popped up just recently, you know. And um, we were kind of joking about like the fact that we're seeing these podcasts like you know they're they're on like you know the sixth or seventh episode or the tenth episode or whatever, and it's just sort of like oh you're just starting, <laughs> you know. It's like sure. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Um, uh, but I'm glad I'm glad that that's happening. I'm glad that, that mm-hmm. we're getting more voices um, talking about the show exposing, you know, more people to the show. Um, you, you know, obviously, like you were saying, Dennis, before we started recording, I'm sure that the big podcast networks and, and everything are going to get right into the game when the new show starts. And, you sure. know, then there's going to be all sorts of, of stuff out there, but we'll keep plugging away. Um, and, and we look forward to, you know, continuing to be a part of that conversation. And you know, we want the whole fandom to, um, to take part because I, yeah. I, I want to see this new show, I want to yeah. see this new show outlast the original. I do. You I know. know. Not because I mean, not I'm, because you know, but I just want it to be successful and I want yeah. and I want people to be talking about it, watching it, enjoying it. And I want to be sure. a part I of it. I mean, and here's the thing that I love, and I've said this on previous episodes. I, I, I am looking forward to the quantum leap fans who don't know that they're fans yet. Yeah. So like, totally. You know, like you know, like, like the young kids, and then they're gonna see this new show, they're gonna go back, they're gonna go start eating up the old show. One uh my my best friends oldest uh, one of my best friends oldest daughter she's watching the series now nice. for the first time and she's loving it and so like there's going to be all this podcast content for them to to go out and soak up do the young ones listen to podcasts i don't know they're they're on the tiktoks i don't i, I, I don't I mean I, don't. I i know i know a lot of people listen to podcasts i don't know i don't know i don't know i don't know what the what the teenagers are doing anymore i don't know I don't know. I didn't know what the teenagers were doing when I was. <laughs> Neither a, did I. When, when I was, a, when I, I, was I heard a about it on Monday mornings, like you know, for those fifteen <laughs> minutes and during homeroom. <laughs> yeah. But other than that, I had no clue. I was watching Quantum Leap. Um, so. <laughs> 
<laughs> so, I was cruising uh, Main Street in my hometown, cranking the Quantum Leap podcast. Oh, How about, uh, not the podcast, soundtrack, the, quantum, yeah. the Quantum Leap soundtrack. How about that? Samesies. We would have been best yeah. friends. We would have been. <laughs> now but we're here just we two guys now. who talk to one another online. <laughs> now we are just, now we're two problematic white guys with a podcast. Anyway, oh, no. we try to be. We try to be as least problematic as we can. Yes, we do. Yes, we do. What ah. else have you been watching? Before we get out of here, let, let's talk briefly about that. What else have you been watching lately? Oh, well, you got me hooked on Barry. Yes. On HBO. So good. Damn it. Uh, it's good. I'm already at the start of the second season. Nice. Um, um, so, yeah, really, really enjoying that. Time Traveler's Wife, we've talked about that. I still need Honestly, to get even, on that. Yeah, even though it's way past my bedtime, there's a new episode tonight. I will probably watch it before I go uh to bed tonight still gonna figure out uh it's six episodes for the first season i don't know if they're really planning for only one season or or what they're doing right um and i haven't been able to find anything definite online okay um i really hope they that they that they don't leave it hanging in limbo i really do hope that they just tell the entire full story um yeah so yeah um uh and what uh strange new worlds watching that in um enjoying the hell out of that and i think those are my main things right now how about you i well i need to watch strange new worlds i really really do i I've, I've been wanting to i just haven't started it yet um i watched a lot of television obviously while i was you know sequestered uh, a lot of movies um, and let's see, two of the things that I did, uh, so here's a funny story. I finally finished the Sopranos. Um, two things that you should know about me and you probably do if you've listened to this podcast for the past like five years, uh, is that there are two television shows that I have yet to finish, even though I love them and I watched them all the way up until like the last, like, you know, five or six episodes or whatever. One of them was the Sopranos and one of them is Battlestar Galactica. I still haven't finished Battlestar Galactica. I have avoided all spoilers for Battlestar Galactica finale i'm happy with that i don't know how i've managed to do it but i'm cool with it i'll get there one day that said i finally finished the sopranos i had not avoided spoilers for that um and i'd watched most of i think literally the only episodes i hadn't seen were like the last two episodes so i finally finished watching that um i'd say you know it's a great show there's so many things to love about it of course the you know the acting and writing are, are pretty stellar across the board but um it's not always an easy show to watch obviously especially that last season you know the last season is really really turns the screws on how horrible these people are um and it's and it's difficult i think to to reckon with because even now i'll go back and watch the first couple of seasons and you like tony soprano you know you 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 you, you like him. It's hard not to like him. And, and somewhere around like season four in particular, you just, you, you start to be like, Oh, this guy's terrible. And he was always terrible, but you know, anyway, um, yeah. the other thing that I watched uh, besides Barry, obviously that I really, really enjoyed, uh, was the new Perry Mason, uh, on HBO. Um, oh. I loved it. Uh, I, you know, that was one of those like destination shows when I was a kid, you know, watching like the black mm-hmm. and white one with my grandmother when I got home from school and then, you know, watching the movies of the week when they were on with my parents or whatever. Um, so I'm familiar with the, with the original show. I've even read a couple of the books. Um, but I thought it was great. I think Matthew Rice is fantastic, uh, in the role. I love the fact that they explore this sort of like, you know, pre, uh, you know, trial lawyer version of Perry Mason. Mm-hmm. Um, the last episode at first, I have to be honest, I was really disappointed with really disappointed as I've sat with it now for the past, like three, four days. I think it was actually brilliant. 
Um, I don't want to spoil too much, but just the way that they're like, knowing that there's going to be a second season, for instance, there's something that happens in like the final episode that really turns the entire, like everything about Perry Mason on its ear in a way. And, and I was really frustrated because I wanted it to be the culmination of like the building of this character. And then I realized Mm -hmm. it's like, well, he's not there yet. Like he's not there yet. And that to me Mm. at the time was very disappointing and frustrating. But now I'm looking back on it. I'm like, that's brilliant. Mm. Like he's not there yet, but he will be. And when he does, man, the payoff's going to be awesome. So anyway, and I've been watching a lot of Xena because I don't know why. I just, I, one day I was like, sure. I got Xena DVDs. You know, some responses to that. I've only seen bits and pieces of the Sopranos. I have seen the last few minutes. I've yeah. read an analysis of the last few minutes. Sure. I don't care how much it pisses anybody off. Yeah. Tony Soprano dies. That's him, <laughs> that's him dying. That's him dying. To, to, to say that he does not die is to cheapen all of the brilliant foreshadowing that they did in that episode in the, in the episode before, previously. That's, that's a hill I will die on. And like I said, I only watched bits and pieces bits and pieces of the show yeah um i I don't think he dies actually i because and here's the reason why i say that i think it's far more interesting to be left with the notion that he's going to be having to look over his shoulder for the rest of his life however long that might be um and 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 there's something about like the unease of the the final scene and and you know of course there's the whole you know well the season starts with the episode called members only and ends with made in america and then there's a guy wearing a members only jacket at the bar and he goes into the bathroom which is where you know michael corleone goes right before he offs the two uh guys in the godfather and it's clearly a nod to that and blah blah blah. and he's gonna come out mm-hmm. of that bathroom guns blazing and that's the reason why it's the last you know whatever um there's a lot of weird stuff that I haven't fully unpacked, to be completely honest, from the last day. One of the things that really hung with me and that I'm having difficulty, like, reckoning with is that Meadow never makes it into the restaurant. Like, she's running across the street and she's running right sure. up to the door as the music cuts out and goes to black. And it's such an odd choice that the last character we see is Meadow and that she doesn't get into the restaurant. And I'm like, what does that mean? Like, what is it that that, that represents? You know, because it's like, it, it, it's clear that, like, AJ's probably going to get wrapped up in the family business in some fashion just because his dad's already got everything kind of sorted out for him in a way. Uh, you know, Carmela's going to stay in this, in this relationship because that's just what she does. You know, uh, Tony's going to go on being Tony, you know, like, it, 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 I don't know. It's weird. I, 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 I could take it or leave it either way to be completely honest with you. It doesn't bother me if, 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 you know, if one day it comes out firmly that he's dead, uh, that that's what happened in that scene. You know, they do a sequel series or whatever, and it picks up right, you know, after that, and he's dead, fine, whatever, I don't really care. But I don't know, for me, there's just something about the idea of him, of him actually still, you know, making it out of that restaurant uh, that's kind of more interesting to me, having to kind of live with that. And the funny thing is David Chase has been ambiguous about it for years and then he started talking about it and then he started going back and forth on it and he's like and at one point he was like at one point he's like you know everybody wanted him to die no he's not dead and then he was on another interview and he was like yeah he's probably dead so it's like you wouldn't talk about it for years now you've started talking about it and you're saying both things like <laughs> yeah that's so interesting yeah uh the other thing i would say and this is uh yet another uh pitch for my my pitch for Sam Fain to watch the time traveler's wife. Yes, you talk about, um, 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 you know, we talk about like, like Perry Mason, like he hasn't become that person yet. Um, a constant refrain throughout the book and they're doing it really well through the series is that 
Henry, the time traveler, is becoming the more mature person that he is going to become. And mm. uh, Claire, his wife, is in love with the older version of Henry because that's who she meets mm. when she's younger. And when she meets Henry in his late 20s, he's an asshole. He's immature. And uh, the Henry, like older Henry and younger Henry, they constantly meet each other. And, and they, oh, oh. And I can't believe it. There's there's actually a scene in the book and they actually do it in the thing. And they actually do more than meet when they're both 16 years old. Oh boy. <laughs> and they, they do it in the book and I was waiting to see if they did it in the series. And yes, they actually address it in the series. But anyway, so uh, late twenties, Henry and older, like late thirties, early forties, forties, Henry, they do not like each other. Mm-mm. Well, especially more like young Henry doesn't like older Henry. Older Henry is like, you fucking moron. Okay. Like, <laughs> yeah. like, 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 like you, like you have so much to learn. Right. Um, you know, like there's one scene like uh, in the, in the second or third episode where they talk to each other over a pay phone uh, because older Henry has to tell younger Henry that he needs an alibi that night because of something older Henry is going to do. Oh my God. And the phone call ends with him going, fuck you, fuck you. <laughs> And the way I love it is like it is such a perfect metaphor for like as you grapple with yourself and who you were when you were younger yeah, and, totally. and and who you hope to become when you're older, like that internal yeah. struggle against yourself and your hatred of yourself. I have a dear friend of yeah. mine. I don't think she listens to the podcast, uh, but I have a dear friend of mine who called and left me a uh, voice message on my birthday. Um, and I didn't know it was her uh, because it was from a, a weird number and because uh, she'd recently got her number changed or whatever. And uh, towards the end of the message, she asked me, she was like, you know, what would you say uh, to, to, the, to the Sam like that, that I met, like when we met, if you had the chance to go back and, you know, and, and sure. talk to yourself. And so I've been thinking a lot about that over the past couple of weeks. And, uh, and I don't know, I don't know. And it's interesting because like, you know, you saying that describing that relationship, there's a part of me that's like, I, I feel like, I, I, I feel like maybe I've forgiven, uh, myself for some of those mistakes. So maybe it would be more pity as opposed to like, you know, frustration or sure, you know, thinking yeah. that he's just a, a jackass. I don't know. I don't know. It'd be, it, it's fascinating to me. It's one of the reasons why I love this shit. So uh, I, I will watch it. I, I definitely will. And I think that we should, sure. yeah, we should talk about it. Have a little episode where we talk about it. So uh, I'll get on that and uh, hopefully I'll do cool. my homework yeah. this week. I promise. <laughs> I know it's, it's paradoxical. Like, cause I know every time you do it, you want to watch it less because that's just how these things work. You know, <laughs> right? I know. I you know. know. The only time I watch, book, watch the only time yeah. I watch Quantum Leap is when we're podcasting. Like I don't really necessarily watch it. Like sure. I don't throw it on for necessarily enjoyment. Like I watch it, you know, because I mean, at this point, like my God, I mean, some of these episodes I've seen probably close to twenty times. Yeah, you, you know, know, more and more. Like, like for a side, like it's way off, and we probably won't get to it before the new series starts. I, I almost started to do a tweet thread a couple weeks ago talking about like ranking the Quantum Leap seasons and putting like season four at the bottom because we've mm-hmm. talked about that before because mm-hmm. at least season five they were trying something they new try, season yeah. four just kind of floats but then as i started thinking about the individual episodes of season four i was like wait wait that's not fair that's not fair and so now i kind of want to like go give season four another chance yeah right now even though even though we're a ways out that's i mean no that's fair the there are definitely we'll times when i want to go you know when i want to like throw in like you know 
MIA and Leap Home Part 1 and Part 2, just to run through all three of them just for the heck of it or whatever. Oh, but, sure. But, yeah. I, I mean, I watched every single episode at least twice when we were first doing it, because I'd watch it sure. once just to watch it, then I'd watch it a second time to take notes. Sure. Um, so, like, uh, yeah, they got at least two watches the first, you know, run through that we do. And most of those episodes I'd already seen, you know, at least yeah. twice. Um because I, you know, I think I'd probably seen at least the whole series at least twice by the time we started doing the podcast. And certain episodes I'd seen, you know, literally like 15, 20 times. I mean, I've seen Leap Home Part 1 probably more than 20 times. God, yeah. Yeah. Anyway. Especially anyway. when I was transcribing it back in 1994 when I was, you know, <laughs> or 95, I think. Maybe it was 95. Yeah. Sure. Lots of lots of pause, yep. rewind, play, you know, on the old VCR. Uh, yeah. Oh, kids these uh, days, they don't even know what that's like. They don't even know. Ah, <laughs> uh, all right. Well, this has been fun. We've gone over as we yes, usually we have. have. Uh, we'll be back uh, next week with Disco Inferno, and we talk about shows of mythology. One. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Absolutely. Season two. I was. I, I, I will say this ahead of time. I've already mentioned before, but like looking at the episode list and what we've got coming up, other than the Americanization of Magico, like. I mean, we're in, we're in the prime of the series. Like there's a run sure. of about, there's a run of close to like 10 episodes that are just, that rank pretty damn high as far as being just great examples of quantum leap. I'm looking forward to doing Americanization of Machiko again. And all of a sudden you're realizing it, that it's one of the best episodes of the series. <laughs> as Triumph, the insult comic would say for me to poop on. Uh, <laughs> anyway. All right. On that all note, right. Dear listeners. Uh, we're we're going to leap out. Thank you so much for sticking around to us to the end. If uh, if you're here, uh, leave us a review, shoot us an email, and uh, we'll see you next week for this Inferno. That's right. Thank you so much. Take care of yourselves. Take care of one another. Stay safe out there and leap responsibly. Leap responsibly. All right. Take care, y'all. Bye. And time, I want to stay, I want to go.